called not to temptation. Just so happens that uh, we'll be preaching uh, about sin this afternoon, and I'm going to be against it for any that might be wondering. Uh, <clears throat> and yielding not to temptation is definitely something that will be covered in this afternoon's sermon. If you would, open your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 5. And yes, that is the same chapter that we looked at this morning. <clears throat> this morning we looked at the account of Naaman the leper in 2 Kings chapter 5. And we learned some very valuable lessons that can make us wise unto salvation. And if you were not here this morning to hear that, I would encourage you to go to our YouTube channel and to watch that sermon, for there are many great lessons that I'm sure you wouldn't want to miss. In the Bible, however, there are often stories within the stories. There are often lessons within the lessons. And, for example, in this chapter we looked at this morning, there was an unsung, unsung hero within the chapter, a young maiden who was taken captive. And it was actually her statement that concerning Elisha the prophet and his ability to heal leprosy that actually gained Naaman's attention in the first place. And we don't even know what her name was, but what a difference she made in the physical and the spiritual life of at least one individual. Another example is the one we're going to look at this afternoon from the same chapter, and it concerns a servant of Elisha, a man by the name of Jehazi. Jehazi. It's spelled with a G, but uh, my pronunciation guides in my Bible suggest to me the proper way to pronounce this is Jehazi. It was most likely the same servant who, in this morning's account, delivered that message to Naaman to dip in the river Jordan seven times. And after Naaman was cured of his leprosy, the next few verses that after our text this morning, the next few verses tell us that he returned to Elisha. Uh, Elisha, he was so overjoyed at this healing that had taken place in his life, as most of us would understand in relation to that disease I described this morning and the fact that he was cured of it. He decided to go back and, and to try to give a gift to Elisha. But in verse number 16, we see that Elisha refused to take anything for his part in the healing. And then Naaman what makes what seems like a strange request. He asks for two mule loads of earth. And to understand this, what he meant by this, it relates to the polytheistic background of, of Naaman. Uh, the idea that different gods were associated with different types of land. And so evidently Naaman wanted to take some of the land some, some of the land of Elisha's God back home with him so, so he could worship the God of, of, of Elisha there in his own homeland. A little misunderstanding on his part, but at any rate, he also asked to be pardoned from a guilt on, on a certain issue. Being in the service of his king, it required him at times to be beside his king as his king worshipped in the house of their Syrian deities. And so he asked Elisha to pardon him on behalf of God because of that. And well, what Elisha thought about the request of Naaman is not really told to us in the Bible. Uh, he just, the Bible just tells us he simply wish, wished him peaceful travel back home. And it's then that the attention 
turns to this man by the name of Jehazi. And I want us to read verses 20 through 27 together and notice a very terrible mistake that Jehazi makes this time. Uh, this time, the difference being Naaman was a was a man from a polytheistic background who was not a was not a follower of God. But this time, we have actually a man of God who makes a terrible, terrible decision. <clears throat> and so, let's read verses twenty through twenty-seven together. But Jehazi. The servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Behold, my master has spared Naaman this Syrian in not receiving at his hands that which he brought. But as the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. So Jehazi followed after Naaman, and when Naaman saw him running after him, he lighted down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master has sent me, saying, Behold, even now there be come to me from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. <clears throat> Give them, I pray thee, a talent of silver and two changes of garments. And Naaman said, Be content, take two talents. And he urged them and bound two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of garments and laid them upon two of his servants, and they bare them before him. And when he came to the tower, or some translations say hill, he took them from their, land, from their hand and bestowed them in the house, and he let the men go, and they departed. But he went in and stood before his master, and Elisha said unto him, Whence comest thou, Gehazi? Gehazi? And he said, Thy servant went nowhere, or went nowhither. And he said unto them, Went not my heart with thee? When the man turned from his chariot to meet thee, is it a time to receive money and to receive garments and olive yards and vineyards and sheep and oxen and men servants and maid servants? I guess presumably the things he might spend that talent of those talents of silver on. The leprosy therefore of Naaman shall cleave unto thee and unto thy seed forever. And he went out from his presence a leper white as snow. And so now as we have read this account, let's ask some questions in relation. <clears throat> oh, I forgot about my pretty little picture here of, of uh, this. This was actually someone had an iPhone back then and they took this shot. So this is the actual people uh, here. I'm only kidding. Uh, <clears throat> and so where, we want to ask the question, where did Jehazi go wrong? And the first thing, point for us this afternoon is, it started by the fact that he evidently heard something that got his attention. Of course, we read this morning that Naaman had come with great riches. If we go back to chapter 5, verse number 5, we read that he took with him 10 talents of silver and 6,000 pieces of gold and 10 changes of raiment or garments. Now, of how much of this Jehazi was aware, we do not know, but his master Elisha had refused what was brought to him and offered to him as a gift. And Jehazi had, had, had knowledge of that. He had knowledge that a gift had been offered and a gift had been refused. And in addition to that, I'm sure that when he saw uh, a man of, of Naaman's social stature coming on his chariot with his entourage, I imagine he could just look at the man and tell that this man was a man of wealth. And so uh, Naaman was rich. Naaman wanted to give some of that money away. 
he was comfortable and apparently could afford to give some away. And so this caused in Jehazi a desire. Now I want to recall the words of James in the New Testament here for just a minute. James says, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And so we see here the source of Jehazi's lust. That is, it was wealth. He, saw, he, he knew of this wealth. He, saw, he, thought, he thought about acquiring this wealth. And this became a source of temptation for him. Secondly, we see that he desired then something that he should not have. Like Achan, you remember the account of Achan when the city of Jericho, when the walls came down and they were told they were certain of all the gold and the spoils in that city, they were not to take any of it. But Achan, you know, he was he was he had that avarice and covetousness. He couldn't he couldn't stand it. And so when he had the opportunity to take something that didn't belong to him and he shouldn't have had, he he took it. And in the same way, Jehazi here he covets the riches that were not his own. He didn't earn them. They were not offered to him. He didn't have any light in the matter as far as that goes. And let's recall the words that Paul said to Timothy, 1 Timothy 6.10, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows, I would suggest that of those who have erred from the faith, Jehazi, would make that list as well as Achan. We must be very careful that our names don't make that list as well. We need to be careful about what we allow our heart to desire. And so, yes, we may have impulses and wants, but to some degree we control the desires that our hearts have. We can continue to dwell on those things and allow ourselves to be enticed by our own thought process, or we can put those things out of our mind. The message of the world is, if it feels good, do it. If it makes you happy, then it can't be that bad. I think there's even a song written with that chorus. And if, if you want it, go out and get it. That's what the world tells us. Of course, the concern for the Christian is, if I get it, what place will this thing occupy within my heart? And will this cause me a problem in my relationship with God? That's the question that we as Christians need to always... It's not necessarily wrong to have things, to have monetary wealth. It's not wrong to have the things that money can buy, but what place in in your heart do they occupy? It doesn't have to be desire for a lot of money to be covetous. Many times it's not the money itself that people covet after. It's the things that they can buy with the money. Bass boat. It's the bass boat. It's the, uh, the golf clubs and the new cars and... Things that aren't necessarily bad in and of themselves, but we want them. And maybe sometimes it's apparent that we really don't need them and we even shouldn't have them, but we can't rest until we do. Those are good reasons for us to question our actions. But for Jehazi, it was a lot of money. He was asking for one talent and he ended up being given two talents and two changes of evidently fine clothing. In chapter 5, verse 23, tells us even though he only asked for one talent, he was given two talents of silver. Now a talent, as best as I could find through my study in that period of time, estimated to somewhere around the weight of about 60 to 75 pounds of silver, which, if you know the cost of silver per ounce, 
that was obviously a lot of value there. Now, I know that time and culture, inflation and rates of exchange, all that kind of stuff makes it near impossible, if not impossible, to calculate what that would be worth to us today. But suffice to say, it was an extremely large sum of money. It was sent by a man who was royalty to pay the price for something that no, he could attain nowhere but this one location. And so obviously, this was a large sum of money. And I can't imagine that Jehazi was not adequately cared for in the service of the prophet. So this, I wouldn't say it was Jehazi trying to find a way to accommodate his needs. This was lust. This was covetousness. This was avarice. And Christians, we must guard our hearts against the lure of ill-gotten gains. Ill-gotten gains, that is, money acquired by dishonest means or means by which we have not earned. <clears throat> In the he, writing the Hebrews, the Hebrew writer said, chapter 13, verse 5, Let your conversation or your manner of life, your lifestyle, be without covetousness. The American Standard Version translates that, Be ye free from the love of money. And be content with such things as you have, for he has said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 tells us that we should be with godly, that godliness with contentment is of great gain. Jehazi was not content with having the things that he needed, but instead he coveted that which was not his. He wanted something he should not have, but that brings us to our third point this afternoon. Then that, the, the next step that took place, we're thinking about the mental process that goes on in the, in the process of temptation and sin. The next thing that happens is he reasoned something that wasn't rational. And he, he rationalized. You ever rationalize something? You know, rationalization, what that means, it's an attempt to explain or justify our behavior or our attitude with supposedly logical or plausible reasons. Although usually those, those reasons, they don't necessarily have to be so logical and plausible as long as we can convince ourselves of the, of the reality. That's what rationalization is, right? It's trying to justify myself in my own eyes over something that I perhaps should not be doing. I can think of a great example uh, recently someone rationalized something to me and, and I hope he doesn't watch this video and uh, otherwise he might be, be upset with me. I hope not. But my dad called me not long ago and, you know, he's retired now and he's, he can enjoy the fruits of his labor. He can, he can do with whatever, his money whatever he wants to do. But I knew, know that when he retired he said he was going to cut back on his spending and, and so I realized that what was taking place to my ear, in my ears was him rationalizing he had decided he, he's always loved motorcycles. He's, always, he's had many motorcycles. But about, before, about a year before he retired, he sold his last one. He said, I'll never own another motorcycle. I'm about to retire, and I won't be able to afford such things. Well, here recently, my dad, just, my dad gave me a call, and he said, I'm about to get me a motorcycle. I said, really? And, and he said, yeah, you know, with gas prices so out of hand, I need to get me something that can get better gas mileage. And so... Uh, Spending $8,000 on something where you can save a little gas, I imagine you got to go a really long way to pay off that, right? But that's an example of rationalization. You know, we are good at doing that. I've noticed myself doing it, and I notice people do it all the time. When a person decides they want to do something, 
they are going to begin that process. Before they do it, if they know they shouldn't do it, before they do it, they always start this process of rationalization. They've got to give themselves the okay to do it. And this is something that we often do when we desire something we, don't, we shouldn't have. We want it, but our conscience says, that's not right. You don't need that. And so we begin to rationalize. Perhaps Jehazi rationalized that things in his mind. I just imagine he did. Perhaps he thought, well, Elisha, I believe that you've done Naaman a real disservice. You denied him the opportunity to bless you for blessing him. Or this man, he's drove miles out of his way to show his gratitude, and you won't even allow him to show his gratitude. Or perhaps he said this money... It could do a whole lot more good if it were in the hands of God of a man of God than, than this Syrian idolater. Or perhaps he thought to himself, the laborer is worthy of his hire. And of course that would statement would be true, but Jehazi wasn't the laborer. <laughs> Jehazi didn't do anything to earn this money. This wasn't his affair. He didn't have, he didn't have a horse in that race, as we, as we might say. And so again, going back to James, what James noted, a man is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. You realize by the process of rationalization, Jehazi, as well as ourselves, allow ourselves to be enticed by our own contemplation on the matter. If we would just put the matter away from us, we would be fine. But we allow that process to continue to move towards sin when we rationalize. We allow the next step, the another next part of that formula, the enticement, we allow it to take place when we rationalize. And this is the process that turns a Christian's temptation into sin. A person in the world, they might not care whether something's wrong, but the Christian, he should. He should. But when we start to want something that we shouldn't have, and, we, still, and we, we start to rationalize that behavior, eventually we will convince ourselves it's okay. Oh, I know it's Sunday, but it's my only day off, and I think the Lord wouldn't begrudge me this one opportunity to get a little bit of rest. <clears throat> oh, I'm not happy in my current mess, marriage. I know what the Bible says about marriage, but I don't think God would want me to be unhappy. I know speeding is wrong, but who doesn't do it, really? I know that the new laws about I know the new laws about seat belts and using cell phones while driving, but those laws are overly strict and ridiculous. The rationalization process. You can tell I'm pretty pretty in tune with rationalization process. I've done it a few times myself. <clears throat> the next thing that Jehazi does is he told something that wasn't true. And this is the next step of James's formula for sin. When lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin. And now in the account we learn of the sin. Not the thought, it was not the thoughts and intents of his heart that were, were sin. It was the enactment of it that became sin. First he lied to, Nath to Naaman. He said, all is well. My master has sent me. That was what we call a bold-faced lie. His master did not send him. And said, Behold, even now there come from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray thee, 
a talent of silver and two changes of garments. And Elisha had not sent him. There were no prophets who had come, as far as we know. But even if these prophets, even if there were indeed prophets en route to their location, this sum of money was not being collected for them. And too often it is the case that one lie leads to another. Once you lie, it's, you have to, someone's liable to catch on to that lie, and so we have to double down, don't we? We have to double down and tell other lies to protect the lie that we originally told. And, and so it was when Jehazi comes face to face with his master, Elisha, says in verse number 25, But he went in and stood before his master, and Elisha said unto him, Whence comest thou, Jehazi? And he said, A servant went nowhere. Of course, again, another lie. But Elisha, being a prophet of God, he knew the truth. But in fact, he didn't even really have to be a prophet of God to know this. Verse 26 says that he looked up and saw the chariot turn when it met him. So he knew. He knew this was a lie. And so then he continues on and does something else for our next point. Something else that was not right. Jehazi had convinced himself it was not that big of a deal. <clears throat> but it was a big deal. He lied to Naaman. He lied to his master Elisha. And he lied to God in the process just as surely as Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit, Jehazi lied to God. Something else he did wrong is what he, what he actually did was steal. When he, taught, when he lied to Naaman and took that money, he might as well have robbed Naaman. He stole that, that money. Was not, that money was not for him. He took it on false pretenses. And then he hid the money in the garments, just like Achan did. You remember Achan went and hid the money in his tent? Jehazi went and hid the money in the garments. <clears throat> it says, uh, 2 Kings 5, 24, And when he came to the, to the tower, he, looked, took them by the, by the, uh, he took them from their hand and bestowed them in the house. The New King James Version says he stored them away in the house. And he let them go and they depart. Now, any time that you have to hide something, something you've done or something you've acquired from your brethren, it's a pretty good, it's a pretty good chance that that thing is wrong and sinful. Otherwise, you wouldn't be hiding it, right? And so he hid this. And if Naaman ever found out the truth, the text doesn't tell us if Naaman ever learned the truth of this matter. But if he did then Jehazi's actions went a long way to undermine, discredit, and destroy the credibility for God's people, for Elisha, for the young maid, and all the others who had built. All these people were trying to build up God. They were trying to build up God's ways and God's prophets, starting from this little, little girl who originally told them there's a prophet in the land that can make your leprosy go away and this action by Jehazi threatened to undermine all of the positive influence of all these individuals up until this point he brought what we say what scripture also often uses it in these words he brought shame and reproach and blasphemy upon the people of God but finally our last point in the end, he received something that he didn't want. Verse number 27, The leprosy therefore of Naaman shall cleave unto thee and to thy seed forever. And he went out from, the, from his presence a leper 
white as snow. So this morning we read account of a man who had leprosy and he came and, and by the power of God his leprosy was taken away, was cleansed. And now in the following account we have a man who had been cleansed and because of sin he has leprosy. Consequences followed his actions. Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 and 8 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. Please note here that Jehazi did reap corruption. In fact, he literally reaped corruption of the flesh. His punishment lasted even beyond his own life, which is another lesson within the lesson. His children even suffered the consequences of his mistake. And this is often true in the world today. This is just a principle of sowing and reaping, that oftentimes what we sow is reaped for generation after generation. It's true today when children often have to suffer when their father becomes addicted to something like casinos and gambling. Many times they play the lottery and they lose, and they, they lose the family's home. And the whole family has to suffer financially for the sins of one. Or when one is addicted to drugs or alcohol, often the spouse and the children often face abuse and along with it many other negative consequences. <clears throat> it's as if I heard a brother say one time and it often comes back to me, the devil always promises you more than he can deliver. And sin always takes you deeper than you ever planned to go. And you always end up paying more than you wanted to pay. And you always end up staying longer than you ever intended to stay. The devil is a liar, just as Jesus said. And beware of his schemes. As we conclude, we have another admonition. Another example that was written for our admonition that we might learn to be wise into salvation. And have you thought about this point here that the only reason that this account of Jehazi is even mentioned is because of his misdeed. The story could have easily been told without ever mentioning him. He did nothing in the healing process of Naaman. Why was this account included if not as an example and an admonition for us that we, as Paul said concerning the Israelites, be careful not to lust after the things which they lusted after. <clears throat> First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6. This account is important to Christians in that we may, we may also be faced with, the tempt with temptations of this sort, temptation of ill-gotten gains. Money that doesn't belong to us. Money that is acquired by dishonest means. Taking money that belongs to Caesar. Not reporting it on your income taxes. Taking money by gambling. Taking money by cheating people with bad business deals. And the list could go on and on. Filthy lucre is what it's called in reference to the qualifications given to elders. Elders are not to be guilty of filthy lucre. Being given to filthy lucre or bad business dealings, acquiring money in dishonest ways. And of course, that statement is not just for elders, but all of us should strive to live in such a way. Again, James said, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, 
For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that obey him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed, and sometimes we allow that enticement ourselves, as I showed you. And then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And then James ends with these words, Do not err, my beloved brethren. A Christian can err. And in fact, we're urged not to err. Or to step outside, to step outside of the faith, to step off of the straight and the narrow path, but rather to be steadfast, unmovable, resist temptation. According to James, here is a threat that the Christian can err. That err happens when we succumb to the temptation that Satan offers us and when we sin. And of course, sin ultimately will bring about death as it brings us brings separation. From God the Father eternally. The way to reestablish uh, a severed relationship with God, the Bible tells us that that can be done. The way we do that is by confessing and repenting of our sins. We must confess our faults, that is, to God, not to a priest in a confession booth, not to uh, a certain brother or sister in the, in the congregation who might be elected to do that kind of thing by themselves or someone else. But we are to confess our faults to the Father. And He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all sin. Of course, now sometimes there might be, we might need to publicly let our repentance be made known. We must repent. We must be, turn away from our actions. And we have an example in the Scripture particularly the one of Simon the sorcerer on an occasion when not only did he sin and not only was he told to repent of his sin, but because, of his, because the nature of the sin he committed was done so in a public way and others were privy to it, others had knowledge of it, then he was told that he should repent in such a way so that he could be forgiven not only by the Father, but by those he had trespassed against. And so that's our example and that is our lesson for this afternoon. I hope it's been fruitful for you. What a great chapter in God's book. <clears throat> and there are many, many more for another day. If we can help you this afternoon, if we can encourage you in any, other, in any way to either become a member of the body of Christ, to have your sins washed away by the blood of Christ through baptism, or to be, have your faith renewed if you've, walked, if you've strayed from the path, we would want to encourage you to get back right with God before it's everlastingly too late. If we can help you in either one of these ways, we stand ready as we stand and sing.